opportunity to go uh, and sort of be a liaison and help them build the merchandising uh, part of the business uh, in San Francisco. And I did that for about probably about a year, year and a half, uh, and we raised a total of about $18 million dollars. Um, for for that company, and then of course you know had a planned IPO and everything else, but then things didn't work let me, out. Let me just backtrack a bit if I can. Um, you you, you sure. started off in the middle of a bunch of high level stuff. I mean, how did you how did you come from nowhere? Like, where did you come from? Like, how old are you? And where did, where did you grow up? And how did you get in at this kind of level? I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, so I'm 34. I moved out straight out from college. You want want the exact details? I followed a girl who I met in college. I went to school Which, at Boston College. Was she cute? And I. She's very cute. Not with her anymore. Married now. Uh, no, she's um, she followed her out here and uh, and ended up. My father was actually in an elevator. I think he was in the Bahamas. He was in an elevator with a gentleman who he had met uh, and was involved in some other business related things. I have a family business up in Canada uh, that's a hundred year old business, and they have a, fu- a technology fund that they invest in certain companies and certain things, and so. It was, what kind, uh, of, made what kind of business is your hundred-year-old business? Oh, well, it's uh, well, there's a there's a bunch of different uh, companies in the portfolio. It's oil and gas, uh, real estate, broadcasting, uh, manufacturing, uh, insurance. Um, so a bit of everything. That's about it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, and that's that company that's based in Canada and you know run by my my father and my sister and they're they're all involved in that. So anyway, there's a, a there's a part of their sort of fund that they invest in some technology related things and this shopping.com concept was uh, was pitched uh, to him by a a gentleman by the name of Bob McNulty who had had a good long I would say good long but uh, definitely. Uh, Challenged history in retail. He'd he'd been very successful. He sold the company to Home Depot and Home Base or whatever, and uh, he'd he'd been very successful. Anyway, he had this concept for for Shopping.com, and we got in there, and uh, that's how I was introduced to the company. Basically, I went in there as a as a you know third or fourth person employee on the management team. Uh, it was deemed at that point in time that you know kids uh, twenty. You know, 30 and younger were were smarter for whatever reason than than people who were 40 and older. Uh, so bringing as many of those people because they know how to use computers and see what see what they can do. So really, I was just a young buck out of college. I didn't know anything. I learned everything that I know uh, in that first business with respect to you know e-commerce, the early e-commerce stuff. And frankly, as far as I'm concerned, you know, I, I think we were probably lucky. Uh, the company was, you know, we raised. Uh, I don't know over 12 million dollars in the course of you know that year year and a half period but it was really one of those situations where you know we could have easily just as easily we weren't profitable we could have just as easily gone out of business if we hadn't uh, generated the interest from an M&A standpoint with with the guys at Compact so hmm. uh and you guys made that, out well in the end do you I mean shopping.com is a is still a force today Yes, yeah, so shopping.com has has had two lives. Uh, it died once. It went into Alta Vista and it died. Uh, and it, Alta Vista got sold to CMGI. CMGI ended up with the domain, and then CMGI died, and and the domain got uh, purchased by DealTime. And DealTime changed their name to shopping.com and then resold again as a shopping comparison network, right, to eBay. So really, there's been two different businesses with that URL. Uh, okay, so the domain was what was yeah. valuable. Did you guys make out yeah, well? 
Yeah, the sec the first transaction was two hundred and twenty million. And then the second transaction was so yeah, I did okay. And the second transaction was uh five hundred million and that was you know, I wasn't involved in that. So congratulations, you did well. I think lucky. <laughs> that too. I think lucky. I'm the first one. <laughs> anyway, so I, after that, I, I I went up to San Francisco, lived up there. I didn't like the weather up there too much. I was commuting back and forth to Newport Beach, which is where I was living at the time, and uh, ended up, uh, you know, running into Rich Rosenblatt and meeting him. We had an I had made an investment in a company called Dr. Coop. dot uh, com, and at the time, Richard had just sold iMall uh, to Excite at Home. For I think north of 500 million. So he was quite successful. He's only 27 or 28 years old, and uh, partnered up with him. He was starting a venture capital fund called Prime Ventures, and Prime Ventures uh, was a 20 million dollar fund. Uh, I came in and, and basically joined as a as a partner and and sourcing deals. Things were kind of slow at that point. It was 2001, 2002. Uh, wasn't much capital out there. weren't, weren't too many things happening, uh, and so we we ended up creating a few good properties, one of which was uh, a joint effort with the founder of, of uh, Reunion.com, which is Jeff Tinsley. Uh, we didn't actually perform uh, the investment out of the fund, but we're all investors in Reunion.com. Reunion.com now is a very, very, you know, quite a big successful company. They're, they're doing more registrations per month than Facebook is, uh, which is surprising. Are they, are they paid or free registrations? Those are free registrations that they have a membership. They have a paid membership that they upsell a certain percentage of their their audience. And are those driven virally or or uh, through media buying? It's all media buying. Yeah, they do a lot of advertising. I mean, you've probably seen Reunion.com all over the place. I don't know. I don't think it's possible to use the internet without seeing it, is it? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, you should interview Jeff. By the way, he's a great guy, one of my best buddies. So anyway, there's a syndicate of kind of internet guys that are floating around here, and we actually ended up starting a business, uh, investing in a business concept, and and starting it, which is kind of what Richard's mo was, was to take a a business that had either been sort of fledgling along but had good potential and infuse our management and some cash and see if we can get something started, and we ran across a company called Superdudes. Uh, Superdudes was a kids gaming network where you could create, you know, children, you know, kids, sort of mostly boys, 14 and under, create avatars uh, and use these avatars to play shockwave type games online um, and create your own superhero character. Okay, so um, and then we ended up actually Richard got called to in late 2003, early 2004. Um, we knew Brett Brewer, who was a president over at Intermix Media, which at the time was E Universe Media or E Universe. He called I, Richard I, I and said, "Hey, the big question since you know those guys. So, who is the one true founder of MySpace?" Uh, funny, the one true founder of MySpace is actually two. I would call them two. It's Tom and Chris. Really? There's no. Guys. You wouldn't say it's. Um, uh, it's not Brad. Greenspan. It's no. It's not Brad Greenspan. It's not uh, Brett Brewer. It's not Rich Rosenblatt. It's not, you know, it's not, it's nobody but those two guys. They created the concept. And actually, well, we can go into a whole other conversation on that. Like, they're good buddies of mine too. And actually, Chris is, Chris and Josh are really good buddies of mine. I knew them from, from before they were involved in, in MySpace. Do you um, know Joe Abrams? No, not that well. He's, he, I interviewed him. Um, we're going to be running his interview fairly shortly. He's, um, oh, good. Uh, he's one of the investors as well. Great. 
Anyway. So anyway, uh, so what happened was Rich went over there to run Intermix, and that was on Brad's. You know, Brad was departing from Intermix uh, at that time, and Rich got. He sort of went through the interview process, and and what happened was I ended up sort of, you know, holding on to some of the other properties that were in sort of the prime portfolio, but then also some other companies that we had started uh, just before Richard's departure to go and run Intermix Media. Uh, and we ended up actually selling uh, Super Dudes. I was the chairman of Super Dudes, and we, en- we ended up selling that to, to Intermix. So we ended up owning some stock in Intermix, and that was a kind of an exciting thing. We didn't know at the time uh, that it was going to be as exciting as it, as it ended up being. Oh, so, so you made money uh, on the website, though. Yeah, yep, hmm. yep. Well. So yeah, so it was pretty interesting. We did well on that one, and then uh, since then we've had an opportunity to invest in ten or fifteen more different companies. I sit on the board of three or four of them. Uh, uh, I didn't tell you about one company I started, which is still around. We haven't we haven't sold it or done anything yet, but we raised uh, uh, about thirteen million dollars from Clearstone and Ventures and, and WTI. It's a company called Eforce Media. I was the founder of this company. It's a um, Customer acquisition marketing company, as I like to call it. Some people call it lead gen. Uh, and uh, we operate in, uh, we're similar to a Quinn Street. We operate okay, in about. So let me, let me six, ask you two quick questions on that. Um, sure. You, you've done well with some of your investments, so you've, you've, you, it's, it would seem like you've got some capital behind you. Um, uh-huh. Why would you raise money to, to, to start some of these companies rather than just doing it yourself? And then secondly, why would you raise money to start a lead generation company when that's um, generally you can do it without raising money? Yeah, so most companies uh, that I've ever been involved in from a founding standpoint, I always put my own cash in first. So I, I'm always the first 500 or grand or a million bucks in. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the company requires more than that. I mean, I think it's uh, – I wouldn't advise any founder of any company to not have – want to bring in partners, financial partners, to support the business along you know, along the way in its growth. I could address the, the lead generation, E-Force business. The reason we raised as much capital as we did is because we, we took a very different undertaking. We built a lead aggregation system that can take – you know, I, the way I see the lead gen business is very different than a lot of people. I think that there is a, a huge overflow uh, in consumer requests versus the ability for those companies to appropriately service those consumer requests to, to individual people. Most lead gen companies won't tell you this, but they they drop 40% of their leads on the floor, and that's because they're not matching them appropriately with the, the auto dealer or the debt company or, or it's not – for whatever reason, they don't have the nationwide coverage for those particular you know leads that are being generated. When you cast a wide net on the internet, advertising-wise, you're going to bring in, you know, leads or consumer requests for services from anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. You can only target so much, and so how do you how do you appropriately make money if you're spending money, you know, on advertising and you're only bringing in what you need some some sort of a targeted thing? Well, you just raise the price on your lead, so you can be profitable on the leads you do sell, but the ones you don't sell doesn't matter because you're profitable on the ones you do sell. So what we did was we built a system. Uh, that would basically take overflow inventory from other companies, people that would be competitors to, you know, eForce in any other light, and be able to take their, you know, their overflow leads and sell them through, similar to that of a lead point. Uh, and uh, and so that's that's why we built a lot of technology in the early years and raised the, the necessary capital we needed to do that. I mean, I've talked with a couple of the lead gen companies. Uh, I, I published an interview with Brad Powers and another one with Matt Wise. Um, yep. They've they've not mentioned anything like this overflow. I mean, how how well has that actually worked for that company? 
I think it's because people just don't really, uh, you know, there's there's lead monetization, there's lead yield monetization, there's traffic monetization. So a lot of people spend a lot of time driving traffic to a web page and focusing on the conversion of that raw traffic, right, that media spend to the consumer request. Very few people spend a lot of time focusing on actually how that consumer request is sold, how it's monetized on the back end. It's mostly done on a traffic basis. It's not done once the lead data has been created. So we have a series of algorithms that actually um, allow us to multi-sell the lead when it's when it's appropriate, right? Uh, and and then also be able to directly you know sell them into other networks. Uh, that have coverage in those specific areas. So if somebody's buying a, a yellow Mustang on a Tuesday uh, in Arkansas, we'll know where that dealer is. Auto Buy Tell might not even know where that dealer is, right? But Price Wheels probably does. And so the fact of the matter is we can be kind of like almost like a Switzerland uh, from a lead standpoint because you know Auto Buy Tell isn't going to trade leads with price, price Wheels. Right, we can go to all the aggregators and actually service all the aggregators. They're going to dump all their overflow inventory into us. We do have a hundred sites. We do generate our own leads in all of these industries. Auto is our biggest business currently, um, and we uh, and you know so we have there's some there's some good opportunities there. I think that the technology that we built is definitely something that needs to be uh, sold into the market a little bit more. Leadpoint has done a pretty good job of. Of, of marketing themselves to the smaller uh, publisher or to the smaller um, you know lead generator, I think that we're we're probably more a group that needs to focus, uh, and we're still you know we're still in the building process, so we need to focus a little bit more on on positioning the business to work with other larger companies, you know, Clint Street, well, the Revive. Well, if you need to get those guys, let me know. Yeah, I, I'm pretty. I you know I know our ad tractor. I know the guys in the in the business and stuff. Although I haven't been involved, so I was the CEO of the business for the first couple of years, and then I handed the reins over to a guy by the name of Andy Mazzarella, and Andy was Richard's partner at iMall, and so he was quite successful in that deal. And uh, he he wanted to come in, and we, we sort of cut a deal to have him come in and act as CEO, and I moved up to chairman. And it was really because I'd fallen in love with this concept of after MySpace had sold and I was looking at the growth of these things and Facebook was sort of bubbling up and I thought, gosh, you know, we've, this whole e-commerce industry is, is really going to blow up in a, in a peer-to-peer manner in some capacity. And who's going to be there? Who's going to be sophisticated enough to offer people, you know, the tools to be able to transact, uh, online? leveraging these social networks and that's what I really really fell in love with very quickly and so it was good that Andy came in to run the company and he's been sort of instrumental in in continuing to grow the company uh we we recently eForce just recently purchased a company called Alina uh Alina was a former Intermix company it's a product marketing company uh I don't know if you've ever heard of Hydroderm um they yeah. market products oh, so they bought the, um, the assets that were left over when the MySpace sale happened that's correct yeah, mm. but yeah, I don't see it around anymore. Is that is it still around? Sure. Yeah, it's a it's a forty fifty million dollar a year business. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that so that's actually a part of e the e force e force yeah e force yeah yeah yeah. Oh, okay. Just so, so anyway, on the lead gen stuff, I mean that's such a competitive sure. space. I mean a lot of those guys are getting absolutely crushed um, as, as margins are shrinking and all of that kind of stuff. It would seem to me that yep. if there is a lot of space. Um, 
a lot of wastage with leads on the and getting them to the floors that those guys would be working on that. Is, or, or, or is this a big opportunity they're all missing? Well, uh, you know, it take, it took for us, it took a lot of sophisticated technology building, uh, and then a, a lot of network building. So we had to actually build a client base that, uh, that is, you know, is, is by and large pretty, pretty big. Now when you're, when you're in one particular vertical, and people, people categorize lead gen as, you know, well here's what's happening with the industry, but the reality is just a huge number of people were involved in financial services and subprime, you know, mortgage, and those are the people that got seriously crushed. The people in auto aren't doing that bad. The people in debt are doing great. Uh, cash advance has taken a little bit of a dip, and, you know, uh, education seems to be kind of con- relatively consistent. So, I think that there's, and it's really just a function of what vertical or what industry you're in, uh, how much you applied to that uh, vertical or industry. I think it's very, it's an addictive business, so you get into a situation where you pick up the big, you know, mortgage client and they give you a million dollars a month and hey, where else are you going to focus your energy when you've got one guy who's offering you a million bucks every month? I mean, it's that kind of a, a business is, you know, these guys all start out small, right? They don't raise a ton of capital. Uh, they start out with two or three guys running some websites, driving some traffic, generating some leads. So they don't have the opportunity to look sort of beyond that million-dollar paycheck every month. And frankly, why would you? So the, the industry is comprised of, you know, 70, 80% of the industry is comprised of these companies. I mean, the guys that are making $10 million a year uh, and they're sitting at home in their underwear and just cranking out, you know, uh, marketing to drive traffic to a couple of pages and pedal leads. That's not a sophisticated way to run a lead gen business, you know. Um, so you you wanted to take a step back because that ties into my other question of, of, of raising capital again. So you'd rather be able to take a, a longer view, do it with raising capital, and and hopefully take a bigger shot at it. Yeah, definitely. Because then the other point to that is that um, people, various people I've been speaking with are, are suggesting that the, the the venture capital model is running into trouble. I mean, I saw in the Wall Street Journal yesterday there was an article about Sequoia and how they're starting to look into doing stuff like managing endowment-type funds and things like that there. Um, do, do you see a long-term model for venture yeah, capital? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's no question. You know, uh, not only is venture capital getting hurt by, you know, uh, by the way they by the way they operate, but they're becoming less interesting from an entrepreneur standpoint, and that that in and of itself is a whole other conversation. I can tell you about uh, something that I'm getting involved in, which is which is more more public venture capital, which is really a real interesting business uh, that I that I really really have sort of fallen uh, fallen for simply because it's uh, I've done the venture capital route and it's. Um, yeah, it's it can be challenging. It can be challenging down the road. It can be challenging. I think they you end up with partners that that want to. Uh, I think they're smart people and they want to help you with your business, but they definitely don't share the same uh, experience and or you know uh, interest level from a certain perspective. And some of them, frankly, would rather you uh, continue to grow and rather give you money because every time they give you money, they take a little bit more of your company, uh, and then hopefully get to some bigger Google type goal. Right, because that's what their that's what their mo is for the portfolio, not so much you know what the specific interest for your company is, and I think that's where that's where the disconnect is. So, so you anyway. know, because I mean, most of the interviews I've been doing, people that have taken money uh, uh, regret it, and the guys the guys that didn't take money are happy they didn't. Um, yeah. For you, for internet stuff, um, venture capital, thumbs up or thumbs down? Uh, you know what? 
in the interest of uh in the interest of protecting my friendships with the guys that I <laughs> that I'm involved with on the on the venture capital side I'd say I'd say yeah, take the fifth, you know. Uh I'd say from a I'd say from an I'll tell you what. My advice here's how the best way to structure this. My advice to an entrepreneur is analyze it closely. Don't just don't just chase you know, don't just find the first paycheck that's sort of, you know, flashed in front of your face because there's probably a good opportunity uh for capital outside of, you know, a, a venture capital for a small entrepreneur might be a really comfortable type environment to, to initially move into because you've got a lot of support uh, and and people on your board and people that, you know, have, have good advice and everything else. But the reality is once you grow in the business, they're not as... Uh, they're not as appealing uh, to have there, especially if you're trying to maneuver from a, a valuation standpoint and raising additional capital. Uh, it's very challenging. Even ma- even major business decisions, strategic moves, partnerships, uh, M and A type activity, all become much more uh, challenging because you signed up for preferences, liquidation preferences of these guys that you know prevent you from from doing certain things down the road. Right. One more um, quick question on the on the capital topic, if if I may ask you. Sure. Um, what is your opinion on reverse mergers for internet companies today? Well, uh, I'll tell you what. I have. Uh, I think it's a very tough spot uh, for some people. I think it's a very smart thing for others. And I know that's a that's a bad question, bad answer to a good question. But uh, the best way to describe and you look at the Intermix Media. Intermix Media was good, bad. I don't know. It spawned MySpace, and it was the product of a a motorcycle you know, company uh, reverse merger. Um, I think here's my perspective on it. It's similar to financing. People look at it like, uh, well, you're going through the process and you're dealing with, you know, getting into the public market. If you don't have the, the ability to navigate through the early stages of the public market, it can be a challenging thing. But frankly, once the company's public, there's a whole new world of uh, an investor base out there that's that's willing to, you know, fund the company, and it, actually, in today's market, there's a ton of that type of capital, small cap capital, out there available for those types of companies. Uh, I think people don't really care once you are public. I think the word reverse merger has is like lead gen; it's gotten a bad name. Uh, but but well, facts are if you're, if you're an OTC stock or you know the pink sheets that kind of stuff, it doesn't look good. But um, my understanding is that it's actually becoming something that is a smart way to 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 cash out and to to um, be able to do M and A type stuff. It is, and there's a ton of capital there. You know, these guys, uh, these guys, these small investment banks, and there's a billion of them that have a ton of capital to exercise towards uh, businesses like this if treated properly. And it is more of an exercise uh, in in patience and in strategy than than the normal taking a venture capital, signing a check, and signing some paperwork. Uh, there's a lot more to the process associated with you know running a small cap company. But I think that there's a lot of benefit to it. There's no question. Um, I think you know. I'm. That's why I'm. I'll, I'll share this with you. But I, that's why I'm looking at you know being involved in a in a what I consider a public venture capital uh, business uh, that will enable small companies to you know that are profitable, obviously, to raise the 10 million they want to raise and take the company public into the public market. Um, and that that'll be a done that'll be done by by a number of different ways. It could be a reverse merger. It could be a uh, you know just an SB two filing. It could be a number of different things. But there's a there's definitely companies that are popping up to compete aggressively with venture capital in uh, in this for for small business and in, in the internet. 
Cool. These bankers, you know, these bankers, they can't, they don't have access to the MySpaces or the Facebooks. I mean, in the public market, these guys, none of these companies, Bebo, none of these companies ever get into the public market. They're all sold before. So right. taking taking some of these exciting businesses and putting them in the public market can be a, a, a beneficial thing. Joe Abrams told me they can get uh, three to four times their valuation if they're public, and then it's a it's a much more public thing, and uh, and then so that can make a dramatic in, a, a difference to the, uh, the stockholders. Yep. Hmm. Okay. Um, so, why don't you tell us about Shopit? Okay. So so basically, uh, you know, I like I mentioned, I I, I stepped out of the day to day role at eForce to construct a plan. Uh, really, this is something I thought eBay should so be do doing. Do you have ADD? Do I have totally ADD? You have ADD. You, you, you couldn't resist starting another company, right? I, I totally have ADD. <laughs> I knew it. I mean, I, I, I feel like this conversation, I, I really actually am enjoying the conversation because it's very ADD-oriented. Right. Oh, so you, yeah, pointing at those in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Is that what you mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you got me. I, I'm, I've got a little bit of that going on. So I, I really fell in love with, I, I, I saw what, you know, here was this big box retail concept, eToys, Amazon, you know, buy.com, shopping.com, popping up in sort of the late 90s, early 2000s. And then there was this next wave in e-commerce of all these shopping comparison engines, right? Price Grabber and Shopzilla and all these guys popping up, shopping.com number two. And they all sold for half a billion dollars and they're all wildly successful and, and still growing. Uh, and I thought to myself, gosh, the next evolution in commerce, in e-commerce, in this business is going to be something that I believe eBay should be doing, which is a hyper-distributed commerce platform, hyper-distributed commerce world uh, that brings social networking communities simply because they're the fastest growing communities, but it could be could be anywhere on the internet. It could be bloggers, could be anything, uh, together from a commerce perspective. And applying the intelligence that brings people together on LinkedIn and on Facebook, uh, and applying that same type of intelligence to, to, to put buyers and sellers together in a world uh, that operates similar from a transaction standpoint to the way eBay operates, right? Mm-hmm. So you make you make offers. You make that sounds you know, blindingly obvious now that you explain it to me. Why hasn't eBay done that? Well, good question. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give you the answer. Okay, here's the short answer. The short answer why eBay hasn't done it is one, they can't. Social networkers don't like to pay for things. Okay, mm. so they want they want free stuff. There's you know 100 million 17 year olds that are turning 18 next year, all going to be legal transactional credit card holding people. But guess what? None of them want to pull out their credit card and pay listing fees or hosting fees or transaction fees. eBay is a public company. They have to. They're focused on EBITDA. They're focused on things that prevent them to quickly maneuver into the social networking world. Uh, and so they're they're going to have a very difficult time doing it. But hey, they bought Craigslist for the exact same reason. They couldn't just go out and build a free, you know, classified listing service. Um, so I don't know what that tells you well, about they didn't buy what, uh, what. But they what, got that investment in it, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But I mean that that's the whole that's the whole reason. And so I think that there's certain businesses that they can, you know, they're going to have a tough time moving into on their own. But that's why they make acquisitions. 
So you've, you're venturing into the territory of non-buyers, and and you're going to turn them into buyers, or you, as as they grow older, they'll become buyers. How do, how does that actually I, work? Because they're the hardest people. To I actually them. I actually think to the contrary. I think they're all buyers. I think they're all buyers and sellers. People, if given the opportunity to transact on, an, on in a simple way on the internet, will do so. Uh, I have I have a pair of vintage jeans, and you may have a basketball or a pair of hockey skates that you wouldn't have otherwise taken the time to go through the 40-page process of registering with eBay and paying listing and transaction fees. But if given the opportunity to just simply upload it onto your Facebook page and blast it out to, to your network uh, and advertise in a simple way, you might do that. Um, I think there's 100 million people out there that are that are buyers and sellers that aren't even using eBay. And don't have a don't have a means by which to do it. E-commerce right now for an individual person is time-consuming, costly, and complicated. All we're doing is removing all of those contingencies. We're saying, here's commerce; it's free. Go. So let's say let's say I've got a basketball I want to sell. Um, I upload uh-huh. a photo of it to my Facebook page. Does that mean that only my friends see it, or how, how does that get published, and how do people search for it? So there's two ways. One of them is um, immediately the way our system works is we're going to immediately, so if you upload your basketball, we're going to show you, hey, there's 27 people. Let's say you're in the Dominican Republic, maybe a bad example, but say you're in Santa Monica, California. We're going to show you the 25 people in Santa Monica, California that are interested in buying your basketball immediately that are on Facebook. And we're also going to show you the the 38 people that are on MySpace that live in Santa Monica that are interested in buying a basketball. And the only reason we know all this stuff is because we're extracting all of this information from, you know, one, all the people who have already installed the application on their Facebook or MySpace or Bebo page, but also, two, other publisher networks within those Social networks. But how, I mean, how do you know that someone wants to? Buy, how have they shown intent to to buy a basketball in Santa Monica? Okay, so we know where the people live, right? That's pretty obvious. We know where because you know the open APIs from the social networks feed you information about the the profile, right? Mm-hmm. So we can say, here's Joe Blow. He lives in Santa Monica. He's 27 years old. He plays for the basketball club of Santa Monica, and he wears Nike shoes, and he and he drinks uh, Slurpees on Thursdays, and he drinks beer on Friday. I mean, we can gather all that information through other applications and other APIs, right? So we know stuff that about a person that can become commerce-related information. Um, what we can't specifically tell you yet, and we will eventually, is whether this person searched for a basketball before. So if this right. person was searching for a basketball somewhere, we would have that information be able to say, hey, here are all the people that have previously searched for basketballs. And so these are the people you should target. And similar to the way we, the way Reunion op- operates in connecting people after they pay, we're going to allow people to buy incre- small incremental units of advertising, um, small incremental units of advertising to connect to these buyers. Through, through other networks. The most important thing to remember about ShopIt is that it's a community agnostic platform. It operates and connects buyers and sellers from Facebook to MySpace to Bebo to Hi5 to Zanga, um, and then obviously a huge blogger world as well. And it synchronizes your profile anywhere you are. So if you're selling something on, on, on Bebo, on your store on Bebo, you can launch the application on Facebook and all your products will show up there. Because um, the, the thing with eBay is, that, and, and the same with Google, is they both have um, buyers searching and, and demonstrating intent. Um, 
whereas I guess you're not going to have that. So it, that that linking of, of products to buyers is, is going to be, I guess, the difficult part, is it not, or am I, or am I not understanding something? Uh, y- yes and no, and let me just describe this. So basically um, eBay operates in a walled garden environment, right? So you come to eBay, and because they've got 66 million users in there, buyers and sellers, you can actually pretty quickly – list something and find that there's, because of their critical mass, you'll find that there's stuff there. But when eBay first started, I don't know if you've ever seen some of the documentaries on the, the initial, you know, launch of, of eBay, but the reality was they were actually going out and putting in, you know, stink bids on, on certain items internally from the company outwards just to try to make people feel like there were people bidding on their item. The reality is, Oh yeah, absolutely. Because they needed that critical mass. It was just good fortune that they had, you know, they grew grew quickly and had critical mass so people could actually buy and sell things and feel like that there was a, a stuff. So they created what we call a marketplace. We don't at Shop it don't have a marketplace, but we don't need a critical mass in order to do that. There could be 150,000 people in our network and we'll still bring buyers and sellers together in a better way than than eBay would. And we'll do that based on information that we have coming from these social networks. And so it's really just applying the connecting, the connecting of a, of a buyer and seller based on specific data about Let's the seller's item. Each other, but I want to sell that basketball in Santa Monica. Um, it would look at your profile and say, well, you've registered on MySpace. You've, you've, um, you've got to put the keyword basketball on your profile. Therefore, when I'm trying to sell it, it'll, it'll, it'll send some message to you to let you know that I have a basketball for sale? Absolutely. It'll advertise right either on, through one of my applications or send me a message, and I can have it sent to my mobile phone or I can have it sent to, you know, anywhere. So uh, it's a very, very targeted, specific ad network for e-commerce is basically kind of a, a way to, to describe it. How will it not turn uh, into, in that kind of instance, how will it not turn into spam? I mean, you might mention a basketball on there. There might be 3,000 guys trying to sell basketball stuff in Santa Monica. Um, sure. And then you'd, you'd want to take the keyword off your profile. You No, we can actually turn it on and off. So there's a function that where you can turn all, um, any messaging on and off. And we'll, if we're sending it to you via email, we're going to send you a message saying, hey, we notice you're excited about basketballs. Would you like to hear about you know people selling basketballs? And then if you say yes, great. If not, no. You know, it's it's adver- it's just targeted advertising. There's no there, there's no secret recipe there. Um, and so you're, if you're, you're interested in gaining everybody's, pay- or you're getting it out of the uh, the APIs that they they have. So you're getting that. Yeah. Feed. That's right. And so so they can shut it off at a Facebook level. They can say no, I don't want to head, I don't want to show anybody. You know, make my profile private. Blah blah blah. You know, those types of things. Or they can shut off specific things. Yeah, I'm involved in horse riding, but I, I don't really want to tell people or show people about that. And we would message them saying, hey, there's a horse riding club in Santa Monica. There's 45 people that are you know buying and selling really uh, connected with these people. And then if you want to, you get connected to them. How many users have you got using it so far? So right now, uh, there's 160,000 stores. Um, most of them are on Facebook, but we're seeing MySpace is starting to grow pretty pretty quickly. Um, we hope to have a million by the end of the year. How many users do you have? That's how many users we have. Oh, that, yeah. that's, is that stores, or, you, or to be a store, you have to be a user as well? Yeah, it, to yes, to be to be a user, you have to have a store and vice versa. But what they are are store application installs. 
So when you install the application, the ShopIt application on uh, your, you know, your MySpace or your Facebook or your Bebo page. How, do you, how have you found uh, building Facebook applications like that? Is it, is it working well? We love it. I mean, we're uh, we're the fastest growing e-commerce application on Facebook. Uh, we're about 15 times the size of eBay on Facebook. Uh, we're we're definitely the fastest growing e-commerce business and social networking that we know of. Uh, most of the most of the guys are doing a you know the biggest guys doing like a hundred signups a day. We do an average between four and five thousand a day. Oh really? And that's just virally driven from friends uh, seeing it. Virally driven, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Matt loaded the shop at store. Now Jimmy loads the shop at store. He's selling this and every, I mean, people are selling stuff. You know, we're noticing that eighty-eight percent of the people that are <laughs> installing the store application, it's not just like a poking or a farting or something like this, all these other dumb, jokey ones. It's like a real deal. People are treating it like a real business. They're uploading product. 88% of the people within a two- to three-day period are actually uploading real product that they want to sell. Can you talk about actual numbers of transactions that are being done on it? I think transaction volume, because we're not making money on transactions, we don't charge transaction fees, so it's not as relevant for us. But uh, transaction volume is um, probably to the to the number of, we want to try and maintain anywhere between 10 and 50%, you know, obviously as we grow up within a certain time period, uh, and we're growing towards, you know, we're growing towards that number. It's It's hard to... It's hard to track in the early stages, simply because we're right now. It's a little bit more of a land grab game, and we want to end up with you know five, ten million people in the in the commerce network. Uh, and it's we're pretty confident we can do that pretty quickly. And so, how do you make money from it? So we have the it's an advertising network, right? So similar to the way you would buy a Google keyword as a small advertiser to promote your website in a search engine, you're going to promote your basketball by buying small amounts of advertising, a dollar, two dollars, three dollars. We're going to show you the people you can advertise directly to, and then we're going to say, hey, come in and buy these these small advertising units, create your ad, and I'll send, I'll email you a, a picture of what it looks like. It's basically a console where you can go in through your profile on Facebook or on MySpace, and you can you can create your ad, okay, upload your so picture. You get free promotions of the of what you're selling to your friends that are linked into your profile, and then if you want to get wider access than that to other people, then that's where you can buy some small amounts of advertising. Absolutely correct. So, like a big percentage of our audience right now is is growing is eBay. We get a lot of eBay power sellers coming in, uploading thousands of products. We put a button on our homepage. It basically says, "Here, import all of your, you know, eBay catalog in one click." So these guys are are just like pouring in because they don't have to pay fees. It costs them nothing to do that. The first thing they want to do with their expendable money is where do I buy advertising? How do I promote my stuff? I don't have a big network on MySpace, but I want to reach the 150 million people on MySpace. How do I do that? Well, we can we can do that for you, right? We can take that those products you're selling now on eBay, syndicate them out um, through other publisher networks. We're going to charge you 15 cent CPC for these this advertising, and we're going to go out and pay the the publisher you know five cent CPC. Hmm. So there's a there's a big 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 opportunity there. We want six million people spending a dollar a week. Uh, on advertising, and we're going to make it real easy for them. We're going to give them that advertising for free, paid for by partners. We have lead generation opportunities. We have partnerships with companies like Revolution Money, who are going to load their account 
uh, with $25. So if you sign up with Revolution Money through Shop It, uh, you're going to have a, a free account with like a PayPal type account with $25 preloaded in it. And guess what? Those are $25 in advertising credits that you can use to buy advertising to target all of these people. So it's free to the user even that. You know, I have to say that um, when you first started telling me about this, I thought you were crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's making sense now. Okay, good. It's really interesting. Really interesting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I what you just told me, I hear from a lot of people. And frankly, it is it is a little bit before it's time. But watch out. Because I'll, I'll tell you, if you ask Mark Zuckerberg, I don't want to tell him what I'm up to so much. But I'll tell you why people are signing up so fast on this thing is because uh, there is a world out there that's going to demand uh, free commerce. There's no question, and it's going to be a big one. Mm. And this is this is going to this is going to bite at the ankles of eBay pretty quick in the next 12 months. Yeah, which could be a good great acquisition for them. Yep. Hmm. All right. Um, it, it, this is the, this is the kind of business where you're going to go to bed tonight, you're going to be thinking about it, and you're going to wake up tomorrow and be like, wow. I'm pretty confident because that's the way I, you know, I, I don't sleep at night sometimes just thinking about the the capacity with which this thing can can grow quickly. So, and I guess so your traffic's growing because your Alexa rank's not high right now, and maybe your no, rank won't become that high because the traffic's all on the social networks. It's a it's a hyper distributed business, so we exist everywhere. Uh, you know, we're not. It's not about shopit.com. Shopit.com would be the walled garden, right? Uh, it's not about that. Shop it exists within. You know, we went to where the traffic was. We're not trying to drive traffic to our site. I get it. All right. Um, is there anything we haven't talked about that we should? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, if if something else pops up, you can always you know just fire me an email or or we can jump on the phone again. I'm trying to think if there's if there's anything else that we should. Uh, we should chat about if something if something burning sort of pops up that I've missed. I'll, I'll most definitely. That'd be cool. Um, well, Matt, thank you very much for your time. Great.